The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. If you have experienced narcissistic abuse, you are in the right place. Our mission is to help you understand the abuse you have experienced, support you through your healing journey, and to help you develop healthy relationships. I'm your host, Juliana Aiken, and in today's episode, I'm interviewing Anna Graham. Anna Graham is a licensed clinical professional therapist offering trauma-informed contemplative counseling and EMDR therapy. She specializes in work with narcissistic abuse recovery, sexual trauma, and complex PTSD. Anna works directly with the body when addressing trauma, and mindfulness is a central part of her professional and personal work. Needs, balance, and boundaries are the tenets of her practice. In this episode, Anna offers five practical strategies to help you gradually overcome the anxiety that narcissistic abuse causes. Let's get started. Anxiety with narcissistic abuse is not just anxiety. Kind of we people talk about PTSD and complex PTSD and how one is the result of a single act and the other is the result of multiple acts over time and it makes it complex. The same thing happens to anxiety. So, you know, it so it it requires a more complex treatment and approach by everyone involved. And I have an acronym that I, that um, you know how we love acronyms. Uh, and it is sit with body and mind. And the sit stands for safety, intuition, trust. And those three things kind of operate together and, and really like are happening at the same time. And then with body and mind. And I say body first, because the body has been historically placed last in in psychology work. Um, It's so much attention is given to the mind and thought and all of that. And, and, you know, and that, and the, the body is so important and so integral in this and no less important than the mind. So I, so I put, I put body before mind in that acronym. So um, the first thing that a person has to do to start healing any anxiety that they're experiencing is safety. They have to establish safety. And while, yeah, the number one, what everybody says go no contact. Well, it's not that simple, right? Sometimes you are living with your abuser. Sometimes your boss is your abuser. Sometimes your teacher is your abuser. Your parent is your abuser. It isn't always just that simple to go no contact, but, but that's where it begins. And that's physical and emotionally going no contact to create this safety. Because our anxiety is an alarm system that's telling us that we're unsafe and it is not incorrect. And I think that's some of the worst gaslighting that we experience is is being taught that our alarm system is wrong, but it's not wrong. It's just being ignored. So it's super loud and and it goes off all the time. So what do we do? What do we do? 
if we have to interact with this person, we, we have to go to work with them, we have to co-parent with them, we have to run into them in different places. So what do we do? Well, number one, you pretend like they don't exist. If they, they, you pretend like they do not exist, it doesn't matter if they're standing one foot away from you, they do not exist. And you turn your back to them, you look past them, you excuse yourself, you, you do whatever you have to do because they just do not exist. Now, there may be times that you have to engage with this person for work reasons, again, like co-parenting or you a, a parent. You create accountability in every possible way. So if you're communicating with someone in writing, then you have somebody else who's included in that, communi in that communication. You include someone else in a meeting. You try to talk to people together. You know, these are ways to create accountability, which can create safety when you can't completely escape from someone. And the other is that you just do not engage. So if you have to engage, let's say co-parenting, you have to discuss the children, right? So you, you have to engage in that, in that. You are all business. You are just about the facts and, you know, and, and that's it. So it's, it's just minimal. And, and you just don't take emotional bait. Now, what happens when you've been the victim of narcissistic abuse forever? You are triggered all the time. You are activated all the time. And it is so difficult once you are activated to then continue interacting. So what I say is that if you are activated, that means your number one priority is now self-care. Whatever conversation is happening, whatever interaction is happening, it can pause because now you have to go into self-care in order to keep yourself safe. Because when we get activated by this type of abuse and we're trying to do interactions, our brains don't function well. We will misread things that are right in front of us. You'll read it, you'll, you'll be reading it with an emotional, scared, activated mind, and you'll misread what's in front of you, you know? And so, so calming ourselves, getting ourselves back to a place of safety, and then approaching things again, you know, just lets us come at it from a more grounded place. So we have to create safety for ourselves if we find ourselves triggered then we activate self-care. Okay, yeah. And so this is the first strategy when we are trying to overcome the anxiety that narcissistic abuse causes. And it, it was safety. And you said many things, like you said, that it starts with no contact if, if possible. Then you said, well, no contact is impossible always, so pretend they don't exist. Well, we can't always do that either. So then you went into don't engage. Well, because we can't always do that either. It was minimal engagement and only about facts. And then the last thing you said under the safety was that when you're activated, remember that um, self-care because other, otherwise you are uh, looking at situations and interactions and what other people are saying or the, how the situation looks like from a very distorted 
way of seeing things because you are you are activated so safety when we're trying to overcome uh, the anxiety and narcissistic abuse why do you think this is such an important thing why did you include this here when we are trying to overcome the anxiety mm -hmm. because we're dealing with our alarm system we're dealing with our brain having been trained into a place because our brains they they do what gets us to respond right and so they'll shift and our brain will shift into different ways to try it's constantly firing at us that we're unsafe when when we are when we're receiving this kind of abuse and the only way to get that to quiet down so that we can see clearly and we can feel what it's like to be safe right that that's the only way to to get there is to mm -hmm. find some space and to quiet the alarm system down so now we can start to think. Mm -hmm. okay. And people start to heal so quickly when they create safety for themselves. When I see people move out of a home and now they are living on their own, it's like they start healing rapidly. The body starts healing, you know, things start changing for them. And then it's finding safety in the mind, you know, and, and the thoughts that now are making you feel unsafe. So it's different layers of safety that have to be created for yourself in order to get your nervous system to, to stand down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because narcissistic abuse causes so much fear. It just is fear. People are afraid of, of what is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So the first strategy in overcoming the anxiety that narcissistic abuse causes, you just talked about in great detail about safety. So what what is the next strategy? Um, the next step in, you know, the, the sit triangle is mm. intuition. Because through, you know, a lifetime or years and years of being gaslighted into ignoring our alarm system you know being told that we're too sensitive or that we're too emotional or you know that it that it's our problem our anxiety is our problem right there's something wrong with our system well there's nothing wrong with our system nothing at all and there never ever was but we are trained to believe that about ourselves which means that we completely close the door to our inner knowing to our intuition and we don't listen to it and we believe that we are wrong and so starting to come to terms with the fact that we were never wrong that our alarm system is not broken it's just no one is responding to the call so just accepting that is is a big is a big step right accepting that we are right and so so how do we do this how do we find our intuition once we've created a little bit of safety for ourselves that allows us to find space for quiet and space to be more mindful in our daily lives, paying attention, paying attention in a moment, just to the littlest things like you're brushing your teeth. Well, just brush your teeth. Just brush your teeth. That's it. You know, don't be doing other things, you know, eat your food and actually focus on eating your food. Put your phone down, like turn off your computer for a second and look out the window and just like 
be really with yourself so you can hear your inner voice because we all have it. It's just, it gets really quiet and kind of stops and goes away when we've stopped listening. And so it's time to start intuitively making choices for ourselves again, not based on what someone else wants from us, not based on what society wants from us, what our abusive you know, caregiver wanted from us, but really listening to ourself and making choices based on what we want. And it starts really small. It starts with what kind of music do I want to listen to when I, when I get into my car or when I walk out of the house? What, what do I want to eat? What do I want to watch? You know, there's a real disconnection from the self. And do you think that's, that disconnection from the self is one of the biggest causes of anxiety? I do think it's a huge part of it because what is guiding us? There's no trust and that leads to the next, you know, the next part of the triangle. There's no trust. You cannot trust other people or the world if you cannot trust yourself. And that, again, points back to safety, because if we can't trust ourselves to determine whether or not a person or a situation is safe, then then we rely on, oh, can I trust this person? Can I trust this situation? And how do you know? And and meanwhile, because when 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 we talk to people who have suffered narcissistic abuse and we roll them back to the very beginning of like these relationships, There are always red flags from the moment that that people meet. Mm. It might be quick. It might show up and go away. It might be so easily explained away. But hindsight, looking back, people can see it. And that is ignoring our intuition. So when people are struggling and wanting to move forward with their lives, but they're saying, How can I ever date again? How can I go forward in my life? I, I can't keep myself safe. And it's remembering back to those red flags and reminding them that they knew. Mm. That they knew that they were right. And they were right from the very beginning. So by beginning to listen to these intuitive moments that speak to us and and taking the chance on ourselves that we're right taking the risk okay i'm going to i'm going to make this an intuitive decision and i'm going to listen to what my system is telling me you start to learn that you're right so listening to that intuition takes you into learning to trust yourself which is the real key to then feeling safe in the world and being able to engage with others because that distrust keeps us walled off keeps people from engaging from doing because they're trying to feel safe yeah do you think that this uh, feeling of trust because you said that you really cannot trust other people and the world if you don't trust yourself and then you gave the example that if you look back every People have seen the red flags, but they just for some reason, like like they have been so easily explained away and stuff like that, that but they always wear, wear there. I was thinking 
can you talk about this also from the point of view of those who have lived in a toxic or narcissistic environment it's like they're kind of kind of you born into an environment where there are all the time red flags but because that's all you know you don't really kind of see them so are you, right and that's yeah. where and that's where that is the learning that is the hard learning that comes when you are out of it because the only way you can start to recognize that there was anything wrong with it is by getting away from it yeah. and and by and and it and first we do the work of being away from it and being alone and then we do the work of trying to be in relationship with others because that like brings up all kinds of you know new new work so once a person is out of the space and they and their system starts to calm down it's possible for them to start seeing what was wrong with what they were experiencing right so it's learning now that what you were taught wasn't correct so and that's what really that's what really kicks us when we go forward into our lives and start being in relationship with other people because we don't even understand that we've been conditioned to believe how love feels like love feels anxiety provoking. Like somebody loves you and they're like super controlling of your life. Like that means they love you, you know, like it's all of these things that have, have become to define love. You have to recognize that no, like that is not how it is supposed to feel. And, and so that is work that is done, you know, once, once you're able to create some space. And if you're not even able to create some space and you're in there and you're able to hear conversations about what is love, what is abuse, a lot of times that's where the conversation begins is a person doesn't understand that it's, that they've been experiencing abuse. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it sounds like um, in order to overcome the anxiety that narcissist abuse causes, you, you first mentioned the safety, then you mentioned the intuition, and uh, under that intuition, you taught you talked about kind of um, well that the first very first step, and which is a big one, like accepting that you are actually right, your intuition is right, and it is there. And then you gave tips like you can start small, like being just very mindful, like when you brush your teeth, brush your teeth. And then then it starts to uh, also starts with those simple choices, like making cho choices based on what you want and starting small like that. And all this also leads to trust, because once you start to make those cho choices based on what you want and because and when you become mindful, you become more in touch with your inner dialogue and with yourself that builds trust within yourself and when you have trust within yourself you can have trust uh, on your judgment about situations about people about relationships and in that way you are not anymore feeling so afraid in the world and with other people and other relationships so i don't know the, was is there something else because right now i have counted like okay we have gone through three strategies to overcome the anxiety safety intuition and trust but is there like something uh, do you want to add any anything to any of these three things or do you want to move on to the fourth one um so then the the next is is the body 
right? Mm-hmm. The, the body keeps the score, right? You know, <laughs> it's, it is, you know, it's been around forever and it, historically the body has been ignored. It's all about the brain and the body is storing so much from all of these experiences and it has to be addressed in order to um to get to get past the anxiety because anxiety is not just a thought process that happens in our minds it is a physical feeling anxiety can make you feel like you're going to die right and so it's so so our body is very much a part of helping us relieve anxiety we can speak to people who can talk about their trauma all day long they can talk about it they don't appear activated by it they don't you know they seem completely fine and they are totally cut off from any emotional feeling and feelings in the body associated with that and and so it so they keep so they're it's stored in them they're just it's just being held in their bodies so how do we get people in touch with their bodies? How do we get people to feel again? Because a lot of times there's a very high pain tolerance that can go along with being subjected to narcissistic abuse. And that's because of being in pain for a lot. You know, you have a high tolerance for nonsense when mm. when you've experienced when you've experienced narcissistic abuse so peter levine has a book um waking the tiger that i love it's not one of the books that he ever talks about so i think it's funny that it's my favorite one but he talks about our felt sense in this book and the felt sense is everything that all of our senses in our body are is picking up and taking in that we don't even register We're taking in information and data that's going on around us nonstop all the time with all of our senses. But as because the mind has, you know, is so important, we ignore that we've we haven't learned to tune in to our bodies and the thing and the things that we feel in moments. If anything, we're taught to ignore it. We're taught to hide our emotions. We're taught to hide our fear right? Don't shake. Don't show anybody that you're afraid, like hold, hold it all, hold it all in. Well, we literally do and we don't release it and we don't feel it. So exercises like if someone is in the shower and standing and, and the water is hitting you and standing there and feeling it, what does it feel like for that water to hit you on the head, to land on your back, you know, let the water touch like all different areas of your body and pay attention to how that feels, how how you feel once the water stops hitting your body, just to get yourself in touch with what your body is feeling. Because a lot of times you can ask a person, okay, you're feeling sad. Tell me what sadness feels like. And they cannot tell you what sadness physically feels like in their body. They cannot tell you what anxiety physically feels like in their body. They can describe thought processes that, you know, all kinds of things, but feel, what do you mean? You know? And so making that connection with the body is, is so important. Um, Tip. Tip is a DBT skill that I think is invaluable. 
Um, because the body really comes into play when we get flooded. And when I was talking about the safety in the beginning and that when we're activated, we need to go into self-care mode, tip is something you can do for yourself in, in those moments. So tip is temperature is the T, which means you splash cold water on your face. You put your hands in cold water, you hold ice cubes, you know, maybe something warm is comforting to you, but you do something to shift you know, just a temperature shift can can help you regulate a little bit. Um, the I is for intense exercise. That does not mean go run a marathon. It means that maybe you run in place. You know, maybe you uh, you dance aggressively, maybe jump up and down. But just anything like that that is a, can be a little bit of an energy release. Um, paced breathing. I have to say that breathing is the number one thing you know, for me personally, that I go to when my body reacts, um, is breathing is because anxiety and deep breathing are, are counterindicated in the body. They, they don't exist together. When we are anxious, our breathing is shallow. It is up in our chest. It's not, you know, we, when we deepen our breath, we are signaling to the body that we are okay. And it may take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, it, it, you may need to breathe, but 15 minutes sure is a lot better than four hours or three weeks of, of being in that place of, of activated, of activation. And then the second P is progressive muscle relaxation, which is just the imagery of inhaling and exhaling while tensing parts of the body and releasing that on an exhale. The tip is an excellent um, skill to, to go to on your own and walking. Walking is such a healing exercise. Um, so I practice EMDR as well. Um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, so, and that uses bilateral stimulation. Well, walking is bilateral stimulation and it is something that we can all do. It is something that we can do on our own and it puts us into a state of processing. And so as we're walking, we can be reminding ourselves that we're okay, smelling the air, looking at what is around us while we're walking. You know, it, it, it helps us create a sense of safety. It helps the body calm down, release. It lets the brain kind of work through some things, allows us to do some reality testing. Um, so, you know, tip and, and walking are just really wonderful ways to help the body when activated and then doing the exercises of like being in the shower, um, paying attention comes into this too, just paying attention to how things feel mm -hmm. allows us to start listening to the messages and the body will start sending, you know, the messages get clearer because now we're listening. Hey, I hope you are enjoying this episode right now. 
If you didn't know this already, our mission here at Unfiltered is to help people who have experienced narcissistic abuse understand the abuse they have experienced, support them through their healing journey, and to help them develop healthy relationships. We want to help as many people as possible, but the only way we can reach everyone is if you choose to share this episode. So if you have been getting value from our content, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with others. You could do this by sharing it with your online support groups, sending it to someone dealing with a narcissist, or even leaving a review. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the episode. When we're trying to overcome the anxiety that narcissistic abuse causes, first... We went through the acronym, the, I mean, the whole thing was sit with body and mind. So the sit was like safety, intuition, trust. And now we just went through, so safety was the strategy number one, intuition number was strategy number two, trust was strategy number three, and the fourth one was now the body. So I'm assuming that the number five is mind. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Last. The mind is last for once. (laughs) Um, so the mind is incredible. Um, it is unemotionally efficient, unemotionally efficient. Our brains are, our brain is trying to make everything happen in the most effective, efficient way possible. And it will do whatever it has to, in order for that to happen. So when our, when, when as children, we're trained to be a certain way because of where we grow up and we don't have any control over that. Our brain figures out how to survive that situation. And going forward, our brain continues to do things that way unless we look at it and change that pattern. Well, changing that pattern is difficult because that is the most efficient way the brain has found to get things done. And it's worked great so far. Look, we're still alive. You know, things are kind of a mess and we're having difficulties in relationships and what, you know, but we're, we're, we're waking up every day, you know, and that's good enough. That's good enough for the, for the mind, because when it comes down to it, it's trying to keep us alive. It, it really is something that is life or death in in our minds. And because as as small children, our motivation is to stay alive. <laughs> that's that's what we're doing. How do I not die? Right. And so the brain stays in that place. So it is survival. And the brain will cling to these patterns because it it is survival. And, and that is where I very much believe narcissistic abuse starts to look like addiction, especially in romantic relationships, but also in caregiver situations, because the brain thinks that it needs that connection to live, to survive. You're going to die without this person, without this parent. You can't survive without them right? Because that's the, that's the brain from our youth. So that's a, that is very difficult to overcome. And the addicted brain wants to go back to the thing that has, that is harming you, that is killing you 
but wants to go back to it because it believes that it needs that to be alive. So when we sit with people who are saying, why can't I stop thinking about my ex-partner? Why do I, why do I want to reach out to them? Why do I want to be with them? Like they were, they were horrible to me. Like I don't understand. And it's that addiction. It's that mind's belief that, that you need this person. And so overcoming that is work that requires the the other work of intuition of being able to recognize your your inner selves recognizing yourself that is the abused self that is operating from that position recognizing the intuitive more mature self that knows what's real that knows what's true and so you find these voices, these parts of yourself, so you can start working with them. So when the abused self is operating, the more mature intuitive self is there as well, talking to that part of yourself, saying like, no, this is the reality. This is what is real. Like you, you are afraid. It is understandable. You comfort the self. So that anxious self, that is coming into the room and creating all of these body feelings and all of these things that are happening, you step away, you turn to that part of you and you comfort yourself. Controlling the narrative. So it, it, it goes into controlling the narrative of your life. So you're being given a narrative and you are going to change it. Okay, so it sounds like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like in practice to do this is just to recognize like, okay, I might have two parts in me, the one that's the abused part, the one who is very anxious, and then the other part, which is the more mature and the more intuitive one. And then when you are in stressful situations and uh, in, in the con like, uh, our topic today was anxiety. So let's say you are very anxious at the moment. It means that you tune into your inner dialogue and know it is like, okay, the anxious part of me is thinking like this, is fearing this, is doing all these things. And then you have to ask yourself, what would my more mature intuitive part say to this, this anxious part, this abused part of myself? So it sounds like a lot of like very like self-compassion basically and being there for yourself and uh in some cases it could be also reparenting yourself in the if i'm thinking like unhealthy um childhood like experiences so or that's basically like how to do it in practice just to just to engage in stuff like that you would, you would, we typically a person has uh, something on loop in their head, right? It, it's a, it's usually a common theme to what is being, you know, what we say to ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And we're super hard on ourselves, like super mean and hard and like judgment. And there's a lot of shame, you know, that's in there. And it, there's just no space for that in healing from narcissistic abuse. None there. It, it serves no purpose in our healing 
to not have compassion for ourselves. And, and, and so it's teaching that voice a better way to do it because, because strangely that critical voice actually believes that it's keeping you safe. It, that voice thinks it's helping by Mm -hmm. doing that. And a lot of times it does it by imitating the abuser, because if you do what the abuser wants, you're not going to get hurt. Right. So it's teaching that voice that there's a better way that there's something that can be said that that helps and and you know and it takes time right like these are these i look at all of these things as things that happen in the short term and things that take time right establishing safety getting in touch with your intuition building that trust the safety happens quickly that's immediate for has to happen right away Things like changing this this um, dialogue in your mind, it takes work and consistency on on the individual's part to make that happen because you're trying to change that brain pattern, right? And the brain really likes how it's doing it. But as you keep going back and forth, eventually the intuitive self will take over. Yeah. And the more critical voice will get smaller. I won't say that it necessarily goes away, but it comes, it becomes so small that it it looks like a child coming up to you that's freaking out. And you, so it doesn't affect you in the same way because you look at it as like, oh no, it's okay. You know, because the other voice just becomes more prominent. Sometimes the other voice doesn't show up and you're very compassionate to yourself when things happen or go wrong. And so that takes time and it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you said that it takes work. So time and work and consistency. When you say it takes work, are we talking about like daily, uh, like every day, something like, Constant. yeah, daily. Constant. Constant. Yeah. So if it's that voice can be so present, it can be there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case, if it's there all the time and it, and we recognize, okay, now I, I understand this requires constant work. What is something that someone can do like daily? So nothing too huge because we're like, we, we don't want to get like, try to commit to something that's like impossible to keep up with every day or consistently and daily so what is something that could be like easily incorporated like daily yep so um so we usually have something that is the thing that we hear the most and a lot of times it's it's laziness it's a lot of times it's like you're lazy or that you're bad or that you're whatever it's it's usually kind of the same one right so it's ident- we identify what the message is that we're getting most of the time. And then we can we counter it with what the intuitive more mature mind would say. And this is a this is something that can be written down, right? So you write down what the things are. You're lazy, let's just say. And the intuitive mature mind says, you are not lazy. You're working very hard and you did a lot today, or you had a hard time sleeping last night. That doesn't make you lazy. You know, like you, you, you just, you don't allow for you're lazy. So every time that 
comes into your mind, you counter it with, with the reality, um, a comment of compassion, but, and, and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you, so you can start with just one of the messages that needs to be adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's kind of a domino effect. It generalizes because you're, it's because even though you're just going after this one message that's coming at you, you're doing the work of being kind to yourself. So even though it's this same thing, that act of consciously being kind to yourself throughout every day, it makes a huge difference. And it starts working in just all aspects of your life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like I can imagine like if the first message you notice in, in within yourself and in your dialogue, inner dialogue is like you are lazy, you can't get anything done ever. And then let's say the other thought becomes then about you, you are a failure or something like you have already, you have already established the habit of uh, countering the negative thought with more accurate, what like accurate version of what is actually happening. Like, like you just said that, well, yeah, I, I slept very, very poorly last night. I haven't been able to done all the stuff that I'm usually able to do when I'm having a good night's sleep, but, um, you know, this, uh, based on the circumstances, I did very well. So that's like more accurate version. So once you have done that with that thought, I can imagine it becomes easier with the other thoughts. Like, yeah, it's basically the same thing that you are, you're engaging in the same activity. It's just a different thought. And yeah, right. You're kind of coming in the back door a little bit because a lot of people start with like affirmative thinking and it feels so ridiculous to them, you know, to look in the mirror and say, I love you. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you tell me how to do that. And they're like, that's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> this is kind of, you're kind of backdooring your way in to tricking yourself into being kind to yourself with this super logical exercise. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Makes sense. So when we are trying to overcome the anxiety the narcissistic abuse causes, you started this whole conversation that I have a great acronym for us and it was sit with body and mind. And then you structured the whole conversation around this. So when we are trying to overcome the anxiety, the narcissistic abuse causes, the first one was safety. And then the one second one was intuition. Third one was trust. Uh, fourth one was body and fifth one was mind. So sit with body and mind. So yeah, thank you so much. I think all these uh, are very helpful. And like you said, they are very intertwined. So I want to thank everyone for listening. But before I end this and let you go, do you have like any final thoughts about any of these strategies or just about the topic of overcoming anxiety that narcissistic abuse causes in general? I think that I just want to reiterate that you aren't broken. Your alarm system isn't broken. You were never wrong. So in all these relationships where, where people find themselves like talking themselves into, you know, 
poor treatment and whatever. They have all these reasons that they talk, you know, and, and they're telling themselves like, oh, I'm just anxious. Like I feel anxious, but that's just me. That's my problem. You're right. You feel anxious for a reason. And, and I think that's the biggest thing for people to learn is that you're right. You're not wrong. And it's that gaslighting that comes with the narcissistic abuse that makes it so, so bad. I hope you enjoyed that episode and maybe you are going to listen to it a couple more times if you are planning on using Anna's advice, which I hope you do. Before I let you go, I would like to invite you to join our free community. My team and I send out free courses and healing exercises every week. We also host Life Therapist-led Q&A sessions every month that are 100% free. To join, please click the link in the podcast notes or visit unfiltered.net slash community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next one.